Hey, welcome back, my friends, once again to Tips from the Server Room. This is episode number 106 for January the 12th, 2016. I'm your host, Jack. I'm going to guide you into, through, and back out of the world of systems administration, network administration, and all fields of IT. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Check out all the great tech shows at techpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to download that special app to your smartphone called Stitcher. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R, and you can check it out at stitcher.com. Download the app today on your iOS or Android phone and listen to all genres of podcasts. Please check out my website at tipsfromtheserverroom.com where you can comment on these shows. You can also leave me a voice message, which I know thousands of you are out there waiting right now to do. You're ready to pick up that phone and dial 724 704- 7010550 Once again you're going to dial that number 7247010550 and you're going to leave me a message and say Jack you know it's just one of those questions that's been burning in my mind um you know something about exchange email something about hosted email something about whatever you want to talk about something that you know a question you might have rolling around your head and you want a little bit of IT assistance. None of us are beyond looking for assistance. You know, that's just the way life is. None of us are out here saying, boy, we know everything about everything and we don't need no help. Because you do. Occasionally you do have to pick up that phone and place a call. Hey, if you have any questions or ideas for future shows, you can email me at jackstechcorner at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and as at technoman. One thing I have to tell you about here, I usually save this to the end of the show, and I'm sure I'll tell you again at the end of the show because it's in the show notes, so I'm sure it's going to come up. You know, if you're dying to learn a little bit more, you you know a lot right now about Windows Server or VMware ESXi 5.5 Server. You know a lot about it, but there's some things you're not sure of. Like maybe you're an Active Directory uh, administrator, and you go, boy, I'd like to know about DNS or DHCP. I'm not sure how those work. I want to know more about that. Um, you know, I want to know more about setting up file shares and permissions. Uh, maybe I need to know more about that. Well, you're in luck. You need to take one of my Windows Server courses. So I teach Windows Server 2008 R2, Windows Server 2012 R2. I also teach VMware ESXi 5.5 Server. So those are all available and ready for you to start learning today, right this very minute. If you're watching this at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're like, what do, What can I do? I'm kind of out of ideas. You know, I have insomnia. I don't know what to do. Sign up for one of these courses. Folks, it's going to be, hands down, the best $250 you've ever spent on yourself in your entire life. You know, if you break that down every day, I don't know what that is, but it's probably less than a price of a cup of coffee. I know it is if you go to Starbucks, less than a cup of coffee every day. You can be learning, get that education, bond with yourself and with the education I'm providing. And it's straightforward, folks. I mean, you watch some videos and you're going to learn how to do this stuff. Once again, if you go to tipsfromtheserverroom.com, click on the courses at the top of the page and go in there and sign up for one of those courses. Once again, it's $250. Most companies reimburse you for it if you're already working. If you're not, it's going to help you find that job that you're seeking. Because you go out and you can say, look, I have this extra certificate right here. 
that says, I know Windows Server 2008 or I know Windows Server 2012. You know, people are telling me it's helping them. It's helping to boost their career, maybe get that promotion that you want at work. So check those out. I wanted to throw it at the top of the top of the uh, the show here because a lot of times I know at the bottom of the show, I do it too. You know, when somebody says, well, we're going to play a song or we're going to tell you about a couple ads. I know we just click off and we go to the next podcast. Anyway, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Also, don't forget to use my Amazon link. If you go to tipsfromserverroom.com, there com there is an amazon link there use that when you purchase anything from amazon it greatly helps the show and i really do appreciate your help tonight you know we've been talking so much about virtual servers and virtual cloud storage and all this different types of cloud but i think what we've been missing the boat on and i know at work we've been looking a lot into this and that is virtual desktops will they change the way our users interact with our servers now, folks, I've been doing virtual desktops some decades ago. We used to call those mainframes. We had a dumb terminal, basically like the term, not much different than the terminals of today. But we had a dumb terminal. It had no drive in it. It had no disk drive in it. Uh, all it did was connect up to our network. And it basically, when you turned it on, it booted from a remote desktop or whatever that was on the server at the time. So it worked really, really well and because at that time there was no desktop computers. Nobody would even think that you would want a desktop computer until the home user came along and said, hey, we demand a, use, we demand a computer at home. We need a computer at home. Uh, it's very important for us to be able to do our computing, uh, much like we do at work, but we don't want to take that mainframe home. That would be really silly. So what they did was they came out and they started creating the personal computer. Thanks to Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and putting those out there for us to have or we wouldn't be doing a show like this because we knew I couldn't afford a mainframe. And the mainframes back then couldn't – didn't have enough processing power to do what we're doing today on this simple uh, little 27-inch iMac with the Core i7 in it. It didn't have that processing power. I often tell people we have more processing power in our pockets today than those mainframes had of years ago. And if you're young and you don't know what I'm talking about, you're like, this guy's a little bit crazy. Go and do a search on YouTube, on uh, Google, search Google Images and search mainframe computers. And look what those computers look like um, some decades ago and how we kind of got started. I told you, if there's one thing I truly love about computing, I love the history of computing. Uh, I think if you don't know where we've been, there's no way you're going to learn and know where we're going because – it's, it's all very much related to where we have been. So that's something to think about. But today, virtual, virtual desktops are changing in dramatic ways. Now, at work, I think I've told you before, we use a product. And you can look this product up. It's called N Computing, just the letter N and then computing. And I found this one time at a conference, and I started playing around with this thing. The way it works is there's one main desktop. And there's a, a card that goes in it. It's a virtualization card, I guess. But then you run CAT6 cables from that or CAT5. And you run those to little terminals on the back of the monitor. We screwed ours right in the back of the monitor. You can lay them on the desk or whatever you want to do with them. They are just a, a box, just a small little black box. And those boxes allow you to split the logins up amongst up to six computers. So you have the main computer. And then you have five terminals. Now you can, if you wish, 
and you build a PC strong enough, you can put, actually, you could put in it two cards and you can have one main one and you can have 10 terminals. So you have 11 workstations running off of one PC. So that is a virtualized desktop experience in a very elementary form. And it works extremely well. We have it in many of our labs at school, and we find the kids to be able to log on just as they normally would a Windows experience. And the, the, the teaching staff doesn't even realize um, that it is actually, uh, you know, a terminal service or, or it is actually a virtual desktop because they'll call and say uh, computer number nine is not working. I don't know why. Well, if computer nine is not working, the other 10 probably shouldn't be working either because they're all hooked to the same computer. So we have to educate them a little bit in how to use a, a terminal instead of using a full computer. Because in a terminal, there's no power button on the back of that terminal. So all you have to do is basically you unplug the network cable out of it, give it a couple seconds, you plug it back in. That's kind of how you restart that thing because it's gaining the power and everything it needs off of that desktop computer. So it's very interesting how it works. I did find an article we're going to go over here a little bit. I know how you love articles. And these are two that I wasn't even thinking about. This is a Citrix Zen Desktop. It's X-E-N Desktop versus VMware View. Now, I'll tell you a story about VMware View. Last year when I was at the conference, I go to a tech conference every year in February. Last year when I was at a conference, I normally walk around. After I take my classes, we have different courses and classes we go and we sit in on. We learn different things. I was able to walk around and I met a gentleman on an, he was using an iPad and he was shaking his head. So, you know, I do what I always do. I sat down and said, excuse me. I said, what seems to be wrong with your iPad? Can I help you? He goes, no, I was just remoted into my uh, work desktop and, and I was looking here and uh, there's some problems with our uh, email server on site. So I was trying to work with that. And it dawned on me. I said, you're doing this from a, from an iPad and you're here at the conference. Where's your main school? Well, the school, the school name he gave me, he was probably, let's say, 100 miles away from the school. And I said, well, that's interesting, but what are you like using remote desktop on the iPad? We've used that and it works pretty well. He said, no. He said, I'm using VMware View. He said, if you've never used View, you should try it out. Well, I tried, but I found that there really was no free versions to play with. So you'd have to purchase this software, which... If it works, that's okay because we have software now that um, is marginally working. Um, I, so I won't even tell you the company's name. I'm still working with that company to try to get it fully working. We bought 120 licenses and we're trying to do some things with it that maybe it wasn't designed to do. But it works through delivering a, a desktop through HTML5. Now, HTML5, if you're not familiar with it, it allows that desktop to travel onto any device through a web browser which is fine. But he said, well, no, VMware View is, is so much better than that. I said, well, sir, how is VMU, VM, uh, VMware View better than what we're doing? He said, well, quite frankly, um, he said, by the way, what's your name? And I showed him my name badge. And he said, oh, Jack, okay. And his name was Ben or something. I don't really remember. But anyway, so he said, Jack, sit down here. I'm going to show you how this works, how fast this is. Now, granted, at this conference, as many tech conferences out there, what tends to happen is the Internet gets so uh, saturated 
uh, and the wireless units in these hotels get so saturated that you can't even get web pages or even a YouTube video to play. And I said, no, this isn't going to work. He said, sit down here. And it sounded like, uh, sounded like you know, that band, uh, you know, um, what was it? The Charlie Daniels played, you know, the devil went down to Georgia. He's like, well, sit right here, son. Let me show you how it's done. He pulled us to his iPad. And he clicked an icon for view. And I said, wow, okay. And the icon opened up, but hey, it's on an iPad. Of course, it's going to open quickly, right? Solid state. Runs great. He opens up and he picks up, he hits the list. And there's a list of all his servers in his workstations that he has virtualized on his servers back at his school. He clicked on the one that he uses for desktop. So he doesn't even log into his desktop on his desk anymore. That's obsolete to him. He clicked on it. And, I mean, within seconds, boom, just like this, boom, or boom, okay? It opened up and launched. I was like, well, that's really crazy. Um, but you know, how's it to interact? I'm sure when you click the start button, it's going to, like, be real slow and choppy, and the screen's going to look like uh, VGA resolution. It's going to be really crappy. He said, well, no. He said, here, let's have a look. So he handed me the iPad. He said, go ahead and try the start button. So I tapped on it. Boom, the start button opened up. So I opened up a program. I clicked on it, and the program opened right up. It was like I was on that physical desktop on an iPad, like he had Windows loaded on the iPad. VMware View, and I'm going to read to you in this article here, Citrix Zen Desktop has one thing going for these two companies. They are really working really hard at the end user experience because they know that's going to sell their product. Where when you just set up remote desktop, and we have that in our network, but we use wired computers to get to that. And when you double-click, it's, it's, it's very fast. It works very, very well. Um, but he said that VMware View is working even more to get that remote uh, connection to your server running VMware to be exceptionally fast, even over public Wi-Fi. And I thought, well, wow, it really intrigued me. It's something I need to look into and see what it's going to cost us to do this. And we're going to talk a little bit more about virtualizing your desktops. But let's let's go ahead. And I got to blow this up because I won't be able to read it. So here we go. More than 20 years ago, the desktop revolution swept across the land, ushering in a new paradigm of computing, taking processing away from the centralized host. Remember, I told you about those centralized servers and moving it to the personal computer at the edge of the network. So now we used to go mainframe back in the server racks or wherever, and I'm just checking my feed here to make sure my uh, video is recording. So we take that, and we used to have it at the mainframe with the dumb terminals. Now they're reversing it. They're taking the power and putting it on the user's desk, connected to a network cable back to the mainframe for files or for whatever we're doing. Not even so much applications now. The applications are running on the desktop. Now, as the saying goes, what's old is new again. Using virtualization, IT now has the ability to bring those distinct computing platforms back under one roof. Now, this is huge. Back under one roof, huh, or back under one room, while also providing for greater control and flexibility of user access. Now, think about that statement for a minute, and I can tell you a hundred reasons, a hundred million reasons why virtualizing that desktop is so critical to your IT department. 
We'll talk about that very soon. This review of VDI Solutions features the two heaviest of virtualization heavyweights. And those two, as I already told you, is, uh, is the uh, Citrix Zen Desktop 5.5 and VMware View 5 for up to 50 users. Uh, it says, though, the goal is set. He set this goal to deploy a solution for VDI. Now, during his evaluation, he found that um, the deployment was easy. Zen Desktop and Vue are based on similar building blocks. So the overall roadmap of rolling out the deployment is the same. However, getting a finished installation to in place took a little bit more thought and effort. Both Zen, both Zen Desktop and Vue are highly scalable, highly configurable platforms that are enterprise-grade from the word go. Both are built to scale out, of, out to dozens of hosts and thousands of users. When compared to the, I don't know what this one is, K-A-V-I-Z-A, or N-Computing, and Pono Logic Solutions, Zen Desktop and Vue take more effort, knowledge, and time to get it up running. But for companies that need to be able to grow and manage a large number of virtual desktop users, Zen Desktop and Vue are the only way to go. Side note, Citric purchased this K-A-V-I-Z-A in early 2011 to provide an entry-level VDI offering. So I'm going to have to look into them to see exactly where they're at and exactly what they may be offering these days. Now, there are a number of advantages over virtualizing the desktop and moving it to the centralized servers. First, no user data leaves the data center. All processing takes place in the controlled environment on highly redundant systems. From a security and fault tolerance standpoint, this is a big deal. Unlike traditional desktops where data actually resides and can be stolen, and in the case of a laptop, no data leaves the data center. Another advantage of the system management is centralized when it comes time to patch an operating system or update an application. IT only has to do it on the master or golden disk image for all users to receive that upgrade. No more pushing a single update to multiple desktops across the enterprise. Perhaps one of the biggest advantages to the VDI deployment is the ability to make the user's desktop environment available to multiple and user devices. This means the Windows 7 virtual desktop can be accessed from a Mac or a Linux PC, from a thin client, or from an iPad or Android tablet, or even in a pinch from a smartphone. The user's desktop becomes completely portable. That's what we're looking at. You know, when you virtualize desktops, don't just think you're going to virtualize those for your secretarial staff, uh, for your finance department, you know, where they're at. Think of this on a broader spectrum. And the reason that I more or less want to virtualize the environment or the desktops is because we still have to this day, even though I preach and I pray that maybe one day, now that was the song I was thinking of, but what I, what I preach to all my users is quit saving stuff on your desktop. You know, on the action, not on the desktop computer, on their desktop. It drives me absolutely bonkers. And I know next summer or this summer, we're working on our policies 
where they'll no longer be allowed to save to their local disk or their local desktop because they don't listen. Okay, so that's huge. And uh, when I set those policies up, I'm sure I'll bring it to you on the show, tell you exactly where those is and where those are and how we set those up. Because I'm really tired of people's computer crashing and people coming to me crying their eyes out because they lost all their forms and all their papers. I'm sorry. That's basically what we say. We have told you 150 million times you must save it on the server or you save it to the Google Cloud that we also have through uh, Google Apps. Either one of those is A-OK. On your personal desktop is a negative. And when you lose it, too bad. You're out. You got to redo everything. So, off my soapbox. But isn't it better that they have access to that then? So if somebody's on break and they have an iPad, doot, 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 boom, they're on, they go to view, they log into their desktop, they do whatever they need to do. A wonderful solution. Very, very easy to do. So let me see what else this article has to say here. I'm not reading the comments because I don't really care about comments on people's uh, websites, especially negativity. Now, there are a number of considerations to take into account when building out a VDI, or Virtual Desktop Environment Infrastructure. The host hardware has to be pretty beefy. I think a lot of people miss this. A lot of people, and I've talked to a lot of tech directors out there. I do a lot of consulting work for a lot of businesses. And what I find is many times uh, they call me and they say, "Um, look, Jack, we heard about this uh, VDI thing uh, at a doctor's conference or whatever. Uh, a drug rep told us about VDI. We'd like to implement that in our network. And I said, well, first thing we need to do is buy you a really good server to host that on. Oh, no, no, no. No, we have a 486 server in the back, you know, running Windows NT 4.0. And I'm joking, whatever they're running. It's always less than what you need to actually run the system properly. And if you are a consultant and you walk in there and do that, you are going to look like a pile of crap. Okay. Absolutely. Hands down. Yeah, they're going to be rewarded. They're going to give you money. And they're never going to call you back because that virtual desktop experience is going to be so horrible that these people are going to absolutely probably hate you. Um, I'm on the understanding with my clients that I want to be loved. You know, I want to be loved by all of them. I want to know when I walk out, they say, boy, that Jack is a pretty good technologist. He told us what to do. He set it up. It works extremely well. And in the end, over a few years, it's going to save us thousands of dollars then, hey, I'm a good guy, and I get called back many, many times because of that. You should, too, especially if you're watching the show and if you're listening to this uh, this podcast, you should get called back to do multiple jobs. But if you walk into a job and you use inferior products and folks don't ever sell hardware to companies or doctors or businesses or whatever, that is less than what they should have. Spec out the proper computers, spec out the proper servers, And if they don't want it, then you walk away because reputations are better than any money in the world. I know you're saying, Jack, wait, I got to feed the kids. You know, I got to put gas in my car. Um, You know, I got to pay health care insurance on my own. I need every nickel I can get. Well, yeah, but if you go out there and roll out inferior crap, especially those guys and girls out there that do this, and I've seen this in business. Uh, I walk in, I say, hi, I'm Jack. I'm, I'm a consulting with uh, whatever, Jack Enterprises. Nice to meet you. Yeah, we want to put in nine computers um, and um, a server. 
Oh, okay. Very good. Nine computers and a server. I go to Dell. I scope out the absolute best server I can find, like four thousand uh, dollars. I look for workstations. You know, I look around. I tell them average workstations. You know, anywhere from nine hundred to fourteen hundred dollars on average. And they say, well, okay, well, that sounds pretty good. So we kind of agree that we shake hands. Thank you very much. I do scope out at work. You know, lay down a contract that says, this is my scope of work. This is what will be done. And then I go with their money. I put it in my handy-dandy bank account. I take my handy-dandy Mac card. I walk out to Best Buy. And I look for computers out there that say Dell on them for $400. And I buy myself 12 of those. One will be their server. 11 will be their workstations. I just made a buku bunch of money. And now I'm selling them inferior products. And I've seen this happen, folks. It doesn't work in the computer industry just as much as it does not work in the building industry. Right? You don't want to buy a house and pay for, um, you know, uh, four by four studs, and then you find out later they use furring strips to save money because you don't know it's inside your walls. How would you know? Till your house blows over in a tornado, and you're like, "Oh crap! They used the wrong stuff." So be aware, be careful, and be honest. That's the biggest thing. Be honest. So you're going to make sure you have a very beefy back end machine, multiple multi core processors, scads of RAM. And plentiful disk space are absolute necessities. CPU performance and RAM are easy to come by. And while disks are cheap, choosing the correct storage system can make a huge difference in overall VDI performance. Do not skimp on storage systems. Lots of spindles, fastest drives you can afford, fast I.O. or paramount, SSD drives at the current speed kings. And if the budget allows, Build out your online storage with them. To really scale your storage, you want to host virtual disks on a fast SAN, NAS, or iSCSI hardware. And a major virtualization vendors support these storage technologies. Now, in our network, we do use iSCSI. Uh, we have a uh, iSCSI box. It's actually, believe it or not, it's from Sun Microsystems. And if you know, Sun was bought out some time ago by Oracle. So now we, our servers are not owned by Oracle, but they control the maintenance, which they do all right when I call them up. But the iSCSI drives, we have, I think there's 20 drives in there. And they're 20, I believe they're, is it 20? I think it's 22,000 RPM. They are extremely fast drives. They are extremely reliable. Knock on wood, knock on plastic. That's what my table is here. But anyway... So far, they've been extremely reliable. We've had that server now for going on five years, five or six years, I guess. Um, and it still chugs along every day. I mean, that iSCSI storage array. Uh, we have uh, probably about eight virtual servers running on there every day. Uh, it has multiple network outputs and inputs. So the network basically sends the I.O. back and forth, the read writes through multiple network cards on multiple servers. And it's a pretty good system, I must say. So it's holding up very, very well. Now, Citric and VMware take very similar approaches to providing a VDI solution. Each vendor has its own bare metal type one hypervisor. Each has its own correction or connection broker to direct incoming user requests to the appropriate virtual disk image. Each provides a browser-based management tool for creating, updating, and managing virtual desktop images and assign the virtual desktops to users. Each also provides its own remote approach protocol, HDX in the case of Citrix, P2 
PCOIP in the case of VMware. Both Zen Desktop and Vue provide the basic type of virtual desktops, dedicated people and shared, but only Zen Desktop can also stream a virtual desktop to the end user. Dedicated desktops are stateful machines, stateful virtual machines assigned to specific users, allowing them to customize and preserve their personal settings from session to session. Pooled desktops dramatically created from the golden image when users logged on, then destroys itself when the user logs off, are stable for, cell, for call centers or cell centers where users perform the same standard tasks and no personal user information is retained. Shared virtual desktops, also known as session virtualization, are nothing other than remote desktop services or terminal server sessions we talked about. And lastly, stream desktops where client systems boot from server-based desktop images over the LAN. Combine the management benefits of VDI with the performance benefits of client-side execution. Again, only Citrix supports the desktop streaming method. Now, if we back up for a little bit, and I've noted that when I was talking to Ben, um, we talked a little bit, and I said, well, how do you make sure, or, or how do you set multiple desktops? Because our secretarial staff has way different software than our students have. Um, our finance department has way different software than the secretaries and students or the teaching staff. The teachers have way different software than everybody else. And we do that by means of their own individual computer. We build a computer for teachers. We strike an image um, and we make an image of that on an on external hard drive. And then we can copy that over to every single teacher computer we have. He said, Jack, it's so much easier than that. You have a master image. That master image you can fire off and you can create, let's say, uh, a teacher's desktop a secretary's desktop, uh, a finance desktop, an administration desktop, whatever you need, you can fire that off and build that. Once you get that, then you put the host of applications onto that actual um, virtual disk or that, that, virtual, that virtual desktop. And then when those people are assigned to that desktop, when they log in, that's the desktop they get. I said, wow, that is really interesting. You know, so instead of having... 150 teachers' computers, you'll only be worried about one. And that one, and I know we have the disk image, so we are kind of only about worried about one, but if we change software, we have to touch 150 PCs. It takes a lot of IT support to touch 150 PCs. It takes us a lot of time to do that. Heck, just working on laptops, we, we would have a laptop image, and those laptops can boot right into that view and never again need that laptop. It would be a wireless uh, effort. Hopefully this works over wireless. Uh, we are getting all of our wireless is brand new. We talked about that. Um, we found a little glitch the other day with our injectors. If you're using power injectors, check the specs on your power injectors. Make sure they are a gig and not 100 meg because apparently there's only 100 meg going to our one gig access points. So our Meraki access points. So we're in the process now of buying new injectors. Um, we don't use power over Ethernet because we already had all of our devices were already injected. So there was no sense spending all that extra money for power over Ethernet through our switches. So I wanted to save some money there. I made some cuts and I got more switches for 
less money or for the same money as I would have bought less with. You don't understand. So anyway, both Zen Desktop and Vue also support offline mode, a form of desktop virtualization that doesn't require connection to the VDI server farm. Offline mode allows users to download the virtual desktop to their laptop and run it locally. There you go. Perfect scenario. When the user is connected to the corporate network, any changes IT makes on the master image are pushed out to the local virtual machine. And depending on the personalization policy, any changes users make on their desktop are synchronized back to the data center. This mode of operation is aimed at users who are not always in communication via the internet or corporate LAN. So does Zen Desktop and does VMware View uh, have this stuff under control? You know, it's something I'm going to be digging more into, of course, uh, and looking into because I think they do. I think they have, uh, you know, uh, probably steps ahead. And there are other ones out there. Like I said, we do use remote desktop. We are using that HTML5 software. We did that because of Chromebooks. So I am going to dig into this and see. And I guess a Chromebook with a with a browser-based uh, solution can use that um, that VMware view. And I'm leaning towards view because I really like the client on the iPad. And maybe people can ask, tell me, does Zen Desktop have that same idea? Do they have that same um, that same type of app maybe for the iPad or for the Android phone or the Android tablets to be able to get into that server? I mean, let me know if you're using that. I would love to hear from you. So the next thing I have for you, though, is will remote computer be the next big thing or is it already here? I tend to believe as much as we remote into our servers, even from home, uh, there's programs like if you remember PC Anywhere. We used to use that years ago in our business. Um, there's log me in. I know you got to pay for these services now. Uh, log me in used to be free, um, but they work extremely well. Uh, it doesn't take the user too much effort to figure it out. You know, you take them to a web page, they type in their credentials, boom, they're on the desktop. So I believe that remote computing is here, uh, especially for sales forces, uh, sales teams, drug reps are out, out in the field every day. They open their laptop up, boom, they're on a server back in the, in the uh, office. So I think it's huge and it's really a great thing to have. Now, is the cloud really our virtual desktop? We talked about this last week about using the cloud for storage, using the cloud for such as like Google Apps. Um, I've also been playing lately, I have to admit, Office 365. Um, I ended up getting a free two-year account because I bought two different Windows uh, 8 tablets and they gave me free accounts for Office 365. So I got two years of that. Um, so I've been playing around with that, kind of learning it, getting used to their cloud storage. Um doing Word and Excel on their, you know, on the website. And I find it to be extremely interactive. It works pretty much like their desktop clients do. I haven't had any trouble doing what I need to do. So I can access that from any platform also. Um, you know, I'll sometimes type, uh, you know, notes up or type my weekly notes up on the iPad. I have a little keyboard I got to admit with it. but And I can use it just as well with those websites as what I do with, um, uh, you know, on a desktop computer. Microsoft Office is still free for anything below. I think it's a 10.1 screen, so the iPad does uh, 
um, conform to those restrictions. So you can download uh, the apps for free. And somebody once told me, I said, Jack, I can't find them. Well, if you go to the app store and type in Word, Excel, PowerPoint, you will find all three of those like in two minutes. Uh, and it's asking for a login. People don't know. So it's, I don't know my login, right? Nobody knows our login. Um, so you create an account and it's a free account and then you can use those products. It saves everything to the uh, cloud storage. So everything is there for you back in the cloud. So it works extremely, extremely well. So is that our virtual desktop? You know, because what more do we really do with our computers? Um, and I have kids at work. Uh, we have tech kids at work. And they say, well, you know, uh, Jack, we, we do we do programming. We have to program. And I go to websites. And I say, well, why don't you program on this website? There's websites that let you save um, not really basic programming, which they don't do any Visual Studio stuff. They do like Java. Uh, they do Python. Um, those programs, you can program right in a web page. It saves it or execute it, and it stores it for you back. Use most of those to your to either Google Drive or Dropbox. So both of those are very much free. So it could be uh, you're not going to do any big, big video processing, I don't think, like I do with the iMac. That's why I bought the iMac uh, for these videos and to process this video down using Final Cut. Uh, to record my videos, to broadcast and stream on, I needed a powerful computer for that. Um, but for day-to-day -day operations that most people do, sometimes the remote cloud-based stuff is almost like a virtual desktop. Does the OS really matter? I often find myself telling my wife that it doesn't matter what type of OS uh, I'm using or I can because I can still get all my work done. Because everything now is going more web-based, and I don't know if you folks ever have these in your house, but I've just seen what's known as a stink bug here in Pennsylvania, and he is getting incredibly low. We hope that he stays away for the show here. But anyway... Um, so the OS really doesn't matter because everything is going more web-based. And we've seen this coming over the years, folks. I mean, I wish I was seen it coming when I owned my own internet service because I would have been a very rich man. I've told you that before. But we didn't see outside of that dial-up box. We knew people were getting on the internet to do research and look at web pages. And, but we didn't know uh, at that time uh, it was going to explode. If we did, we would have never sold the company. And we would have still been in the business today, maybe in hosting. I often said we probably would have been at one in onecom uh, or a Rackspace. That could have been us because we've seen – we had the infrastructure before any of these companies even knew what Internet was. Uh, those are – I call those the baby boomers of technology. You know, uh, Most of these folks are – you know, the guy that owns Amazon looks like he's about 35 years old. Uh, and it, it just blows me away. Um, you know, If you think about that, pretty much – he was in elementary school when we were running an internet business. So it just it, it blows me away in so many different ways I can't even get into it. Will Windows always be dominant? I think so, but in what form? You know, the reason Windows is dominant is because everybody knows Windows. Everybody knows point and click, point and click, 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 double click, point and click, minimize. Everybody can do that. From the time you're like one until the time you're 100, you can still do that. I had somebody one time said, Jack, what's the best computer for me to buy my son or daughter going to college? Often I said, it would probably be, and if you have the money, it would be a Mac. My daughter recently needed a computer for school, and she asked for one for Christmas, and I picked her up a, uh, a Lenovo. Um, they call them the Windows Cloudbook. It has 64 gigs of, um, of um, memory in it, 64 gigs 
of flash-based storage, and it has four gigs of RAM with Windows 10 loaded on it, and she got free Office for an entire year. So we download all the Office products onto it. It's a fantastic computer, but Windows is accessible, accessible, accessible to viruses, spyware, all the crap that we have to deal with on Windows. If you don't know how to take care of it, you know, it's going to get a little messed up. So I tell people the best computer, if you can afford it, I couldn't afford it, would be to buy your son or daughter a Mac. Oh, a Mac. They couldn't use that. They, they never used those in school. They won't know how to use a Mac. That's just silly. Well, you click an icon and something launches. You know, you click a little minus something, something goes down into the dock. What's the dock? Uh, a glorified start menu. You know, where you put your most used applications. What's an application? Well, this conversation is now over. So, but I don't, Windows will be dominant because we live in a Windows world. Uh, Bill Gates was a very smart man when he started it, uh, when he marketed it. It is everywhere and it is very dominant. So be that what it is. If you go into a Best Buy, I guarantee you're going to see at least 50 Windows computers and you're going to see a small table up front with about six Macs on it. And that's just the truth. So, you know, if you go into an automotive center and there's they have a little place out back that they keep three Volkswagens, but every other car in the place is a Dodge, you'll probably walk out of there with a Dodge, most likely, just saying. So, will Microsoft software as a service work? Well, for the old timers, or will it work for the old timers like me? Microsoft as a service. Um, I think it's going that way because Microsoft wants what I wanted when we started our internet business. And I called it uh, redundant cash flow, okay, or reoccurring cash flow. And the way that works is if I would sell you internet and I would say, look, here's your internet connection uh, for $50 for, for, for life. And you say, wow, that's a good deal. Here's your 50 bucks. I didn't want that. I wanted you to give me $20 every single month. Just like we do now for our cell phones, we do it for um, internet connections, we do it for electricity, water, sewage, everything you can think of. It's reoccurring money. And every time they give their employees a raise, your rates go up a little bit because that reoccurring money needs to stay um, uh, efficient or sufficient enough on the back end to make sure they can pay everybody. And that's how reoccurring money works. So you'll never be out of permanent cash flow. The more customers you have, the more reoccurring money you had. And that's what we've seen. We went from barely making the bills to money rolling in. And as that money started rolling in, we started to be able to buy bigger equipment, uh, newer gear, hire more employees, and it really worked out well for us. So Microsoft is now looking at this. But there's a couple problems there. One, they just gave away Windows 10, free upgrade for one year. We don't even know what that means. Because if I have the CD and I put the image on there, the install image, can I install it after that one year? Can I install it next year? Will it activate? Nobody seems to be able to tell us. Or is Microsoft then going to come out and say, whoops, nope, sorry. Hey, you waited uh, a year and a half to get the bugs worked out. Now you're going to have to buy this software as a service. It's going to cost you $50 a month to have Windows. Well, people say go buy Windows and there'll be a lot of Ubuntu Linux being loaded on computers everywhere. I see that shift coming. So Windows, Microsoft has to be very careful the way they're doing this. Um, I think with Azure, they're trying to do it now, and we found it to be 
extremely expensive to try to go to Azure and not have our own servers in our racks. So that won't be happening. We talked about that last week. So they have to be very careful because they may just price themselves right out of existence because there's still other up-and-coming companies that are going to take our money and sell us software and allow us to use that software uh, the way we need to use it. So the next thing was, folks, the computer has forever changed the moment the smartphone hit the scene. I have more computing power, talked about this a little bit ago, in my pocket than I did on my old 8086. And if you don't know what an 8086 is, look up the picture again on Google Images because you must be a youngster listening to this. And I appreciate you being there, picking up some stuff from the old guys. Um, and for that matter, the 486 I had years ago, a 486. You know, I often tell my work partner about that. And I said, I think at one time I went out to buy a 40, no, I think it was an 80 megabyte hard drive, 80 megabytes. And I had to save forever to go buy that thing. I think it ended up costing me almost 300 some dollars for 80 megabytes. You know, when when uh, hard drives started going down to a dollar a megabyte, we thought, wow, this is, man, this is fantastic. Now look at it today. You can buy terabytes of hard drive space for, you know, $80. I've seen today there's a two terabyte uh, small hard drive. I almost purchased it. I think it was at Mac Mall or PC Mac Mall, whatever the hell they call it now. Uh, I think it was $89. That's amazing. For two terabytes of storage that you're going to throw in your laptop case. So pretty cool. Will we be the front runner uh, on the web office space? Oh, who will be the front runner on the web office space? I told you I've been playing with Google. Uh, Google Apps, we use it. I use it every single day. Myself, my work partner, we share documents back and forth. Uh, it's a great, great thing. We can work on it at the same time. Microsoft with the Office 365 is a wonderful tool. It works very well. So either one of those, whichever one seems to fit for you, then make it fit. A lot of you have never heard of Zoho. Zoho is a company that's been around before Google Apps, before Microsoft. Zoho was already creating web-based web, web hmm, web applications, and they've already been doing this. They're very, very good at it. They have Word. They have a presentation program. They have a spreadsheet program. They have contact management services. They have more than these other companies. Check them out. Go to Zoho.com, Z-O-H-O.com. Like I said, I use them for my invoicing. I've been using them for years for invoicing. If you don't have too many clients, it's free. It works great because I can go in there when I'm at the client. I can pull up my smartphone. I can actually type the invoice out. It lets you put your services in there, all your services, hardware, whatever you're selling. And you just choose them just like you would a grocery list. It puts them in, it populates the pricing, and I hit email the client. Before I leave an office, the client actually has the invoice. No more do I have to wait for me to go home, type it up, figure it out, print it, maybe mail it to them like I used to do years ago. Now they have it. A lot of times they hand me a check before I leave the office, and that's a good thing, right? When you get the money before you leave, it's money in the bank. You go straight to the bank. I don't go to the bank anymore, right? I take my smartphone, take a picture of it, and I deposit it. Right on the back, deposit it, and money's gone. So anyway, but check out Zoho. If you've never heard of them, I think you're going to really, really enjoy that company very much so. So I don't know how long I've been talking. It feels like uh, not too bad tonight, about 50 minutes or so, 55 minutes. It feels like I've been talking forever. My wife will sometimes say that because she's downstairs as I'm upstairs in the studio. She's downstairs and she'll say something like, wow, you really just talk and talk and talk. And I said, well, that's doing a show, right? You got to talk to you guys uh, or you'll be in your car listening to dead air going, wow, 
maybe I better turn on some uh, Pandora. Um, or if you have an Amazon Prime account, ditch Pandora and go to Amazon Music. It's much, much better with no commercials, zero commercials, and no extra money. So it works very, very well. I love Amazon Music. There's my shout-out for Amazon. And, folks, if you're going to buy anything from Amazon, don't forget that Amazon link. Help me out. Help me out. I need your help. Dial 1-800-HELP-JACK. No, that's not true. That's not the number at all. No, just go to my website at tipsfromserverroom.com. Click on that Amazon link. And, you know, just if you buy anything, you're going to buy a coffee cup, Amazon link. You're going to buy a new server, Amazon link. A bunch of workstations, Amazon link. Um, uh, whatever, you know, whatever you're going to buy, you got the idea. Use that Amazon link. Your price stays the same, and we get a small proceed back to the show to help me out here. Um, and I know that a lot of you aren't using it because my proceeds I've been watching have been about 15 cents a month. So um, that won't even buy me a cup of coffee. What are you talking about? I can't even get a cup of coffee for 15 cents a month. Help me out, please. I need your help. But if you really want to help the show out and really want to let me help more of you and keep paying it forward and building these courses, then take my Windows Server 2008 R2, Windows Server 2012 R2, or VMware ESXi server from install to administration. And I know people tell me all the time, Jack, well, once I sign up, I get kicked off in six months. Yeah, I don't have six months to dedicate to that. Folks, I've had people in here for the last five or, yeah, four years when I started this, four years ago. I've had people in here for about four or five, at least four years. Yeah, I think the one guy was there four years. He is still not finished. But he knows he can come back at any time. And he emails me and says, Jack, I just watched a video again on setting up my DNS and, and getting my, uh, my zones created. And uh, you know what? Um, it, thanks, because you always are there for me. I don't, I don't kick you out. I leave you in. A lot of these companies out there want you to pay $1,500, $2,500. And they say you got three months. Finish it or get out. Well, most of us have jobs. I can't dedicate three months every day of my life to watching videos. That's just ridiculous. And if you say, Jack, I can find the same stuff on YouTube, you can. Absolutely, you can find it on YouTube. But the problem is it's not in the organized fashion of a course from install to administration all the way down through all those videos. Often people ask me about my YouTube videos. I got an email last week. that said, Jack, thank you so much for your YouTube video on a DHCP. I started using that video. Do you know where the second one is? Yep. Yeah, I do. The second one is in the course. Those YouTube videos are basically introductions to the course to say, hey, and people say, hey, I loved your DNS video. Thank you so much for that. I want you to come take the course then and learn everything you can learn about all the subjects with the DNS. That's why those videos are out there. So hopefully you'll sign up for one of those. Go to tipsandserverum.com. Click the little course link at the top of the page, and off you go. You'll be off and running to great, great things, just like watching this show. And I do appreciate you out there. You know, it's because of you guys. It's when I go look at those numbers, uh, you know, over at uh, techpodcast.com, or, you know, or I look at my stats from them, and I see, you know, Hey, um, you know, 3,000 people downloaded your show this week. That's a huge boost from me. It's not an ego boost. It just lets me know that you're listening, that I need to produce a show. My wife knows that, you know, Tuesdays I need to be in the studio. I need to have my show notes done, and I need to produce a show because we have people out there listening, people that want this stuff, and the shows will always remain free. That's what I do here. They're free. The podcasts are free. 
The YouTube video that you're going to watch that you may be picking up is also free. Oh, YouTube video. If you're listening to this on the audio podcast, just a quick note, go over to 42 Technoman on YouTube or search for Jack's Tech Corner and you will find 42 Technoman. I was obviously 42. I'm obviously much older now, so I've been doing this for a long time. Click on that and you can watch the video of this podcast. So hopefully that could be interesting to you also. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. I do appreciate you being here. Thank you for subscribing, downloading to the shows and watching YouTube videos. Please comment, like them. Uh, you know, give me some ideas for future shows, and we'll talk to you next time here on Tips from the Server Room. Good night, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye for now.